Hello. Today's scripture is from Exodus, chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets, like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses, <clears throat> so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the once to worship. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, let the Lord go with us. And although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Thank you, God, for your word that shows us both your grace and your faithfulness. Thank you, Lori. Hey, everybody. Uh, all of you worshiping in person and online, I would invite you every Sunday to check out faithwestwood.com forward slash Sunday links. Because there you're going to find out what's happening in worship and who's a part of it and what's happening this week in our church. You can also submit a prayer request, give to ministry and mission, and fill out a connection card all right there. Last Sunday, we also gave away 235 of these booklets of the Gospel of John in the easy-reading New Living Translation. And if you didn't get one, we got more. And uh, uh, so if you're worshiping with us today, the ushers will have them after worship. Uh, also, you can pick them up anytime, day or night, just inside the doors of the west entrance. Uh, and if you live away from Omaha and you're watching online and worshiping with us online and you would like a copy of this New Living Translation of God, John's Gospel, then, uh, just like Russ said before, text hello to that number on the screen and Jen Robinson will get back to you, right? And we'd love uh, for you to have this booklet and if you have a prayer request, tell us. We want to pray for you, all right? Now, last Sunday, I said we had 22 groups, and then Russ says, well, we're starting two more. So uh, uh, we're glad for that, and if you, want to, um, if you want to experience the rewarding, God-filled life of a disciple of Jesus, then faith groups are a big part of, of helping that to happen. And if you want to know more about these faith groups, simply just check faith groups on the back of your connection card, 
Uh, and for all of you here in person, after worship, we have a table set up in the east entryway, and there'll be somebody there, and you can talk with them all about the options for this. This is a great time of, of year to get started in a group. So let's pray. And, and now, dear God, we pause to be still. We pause to recenter our scattered senses upon your presence here. Lord, we, we thought we could handle everything on our own, but now we know we cannot. We have made a mess of our lives trying to run it our own way. And so, Lord, we bow before you, humbled by our brokenness, trusting in your faithfulness. You alone have the power to restore us. Jesus, thank you for stepping into this world and revealing to us the character of God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you saw this in the news, but on Tuesday, the Department of Justice charged 47 people with defrauding the government of $250 million during the pandemic. And this was money that was supposed to go to feed children during the pandemic. So, so these people snatched money from the mouths of babes and spent it on stuff like uh, real estate, luxury cars, expensive jewelry, and trips abroad. Are we glad they got caught? Yeah. Do we want the courts to bring them to justice? Yeah. We want justice. Yesterday marked eight, year, eight uh, months since Russia invaded Ukraine. And you know, this war has already backfired on Russia in one way by strengthening NATO. And I'm praying it'll backfire even more by resulting in Putin's downfall. We want justice, right? The scriptures teach us that God is on the side of justice. God's plan is to partner with us to put this world right. And, and if God cared nothing for what is right and good and true and just, he wouldn't be a God worth believing in, would he? Today, we start a new series called Good Morning, This is God. And uh, we'll be looking at a passage in the Bible that gets quoted over and over then in, throughout the Old Testament telling us about the character of God. And today's message is, the Lord is forgiving and just. And during this series, uh, most of our faith groups are going to be uh, also watching these wonderful five-minute videos from a group called The Bible Project, and they match, these videos match this series. And they're so well done. And you, you watch these short videos, you will learn so much. And uh, we'll also have a link to this week's video in tomorrow's Faith Connect email, so don't miss that. Israel learns that, that this God is different 
from all the gods of the other nations, the gods of wars and storms and fertility that, that people try to manipulate to get an advantage, to get their way. They learn that Israel's God is the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And the Israelites learn about the character of this God. The Lord will bring justice. Yet he prefers to restore by forgiving rather than punishing. And that is the heart of today's message. That's the thing I, I hope you go out of here thinking about, maybe write it down, talk about it at home with your family, talk about it with your group. Uh, will you say it with me? The Lord will bring justice, yet he prefers to restore by forgiving rather than punishing. Let me, let me say something about God's punishment, okay? Almost always, God's punishment is just the natural cause, natural consequences of our actions. Have any of you ever hit a deer on the road? Yeah, a lot of us. I've, it's happened to me at least a couple of times. I just want you to know, I did not think that, it, that God was punishing me or the deer. <laughs> it, just, it just happened. And, and you know... I was fortunate in seminary classes. I never did fail a class, but I did get a D once. Why? Because I didn't study. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that the class, that the, the, the final was going to be based on the lectures, so I didn't read all of the book. What was I thinking? My grade was a natural consequence of my poor studying. If you, if you get sick, I want you to know God's not punishing you, okay? Just make sure you know that. But if you lose your job because you, you keep not showing up for work, then God is letting those consequences be his punishment. All right, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. And while you're looking that up, let me take a few minutes to catch you up on what's happened so far. The people of Israel, also called the Hebrews, have been enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Before that, God promised their ancestor Abraham that his descendants would be God's instruments to redeem the world. After 400 years of enslavement, one day God speaks to a Hebrew, a fugitive from Egypt, who is tending sheep on a mountain. A voice from a burning bush speaks to Moses that this is the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God tells Moses to return to Egypt, lead his people to freedom, and return them to this mountain. Moses is reluctant. But God can be very persuasive. And then Moses asks what he should do when the Israelites ask him, well, who is this God that, that talked to you? Who, what, what is this God's name? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And so in the Old Testament, 
Whenever you see the word Lord. You can see it there at the beginning of, of chapter 34. When you see the word Lord in all caps, then you know it's translating the Hebrew name Yahweh, which means I am, or the one who is. So Moses returns to Egypt, demanding that Pharaoh set free all the Hebrew slaves, which Pharaoh does not do. But again, God can be very persuasive. After ten plagues, Pharaoh lets them go. And suddenly, Pharaoh's going, what was I thinking? I can't let my free labor walk away. So he sends his army in hot pursuit. After a windy night, the sea waters are parted, and the Israelites cross across the, uh, uh, walk across the dry seabed. And when the Egyptians follow, their, their horses and chariots get bogged down, and then the waters rush back across them, and the Egyptian army is destroyed while the people of Israel are saved. And as the people of Israel walk, watch this spectacle from the other side, they rejoice. And they sing, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider hurled into the sea. Or something like that. And they traveled into the Sinai Peninsula, to the mountain of God. And there, God makes a covenant with them. They promise to be his people. And Yahweh promises to be their God. And they're told that if they follow the terms of the covenant, if they stay faithful to Yahweh and keep the laws that he gives them, then he will prosper them and protect them. But if they are unfaithful and worship other gods, and if they rebel and disobey his laws, then they will be attacked and enslaved by their enemies. And the people respond, yeah, we're in. They said, everything Yahweh has said, we will do. And then Moses sprinkles them with lamb's blood to seal the covenant. That was just kind of how they did things back then, when you made a big covenant promise. And then Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and Yahweh gives him all the instructions on con constructing this sacred tent called the tabernacle, and God gives him two stone tablets, and written on them are the Ten Commandments. And when Moses comes down the mountain, what does he find? At the demand of the people, Moses' brother Aaron has fashioned a golden calf, and the people are singing and dancing before it and engaging in corrupt sexual activity to gain its favor and claiming that this is the idol, this is their God who has brought them out of Egypt. And when Moses sees this, he is so mad, he, he throws the stone tablets down to the ground, smashing them to bits. Oops. <laughs> At this point, Israel's future as God's people stands upon the edge of a knife. These people have already, already broken their covenant with Yahweh. If past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, then, then this is all sunk. There is no hope. And yet it's here. 
when all appears lost, that they learn the character of God. Chapter 34, verse 1. The first two words are the Lord. And today, uh, as we read some of these verses, uh, I want to insert the original Hebrew name Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So Moses does that. He chisels out two stone tablets, takes them up the mountain, and then Yahweh comes to Moses in a cloud. Let's skip down to verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And these words become an anthem uh, in, to the character of God, and they are echoed 20 more times in the Old Testament. God will not abandon them. Though they fail Yahweh, Yahweh will not fail them. God will keep his promises. Now, the next five Sundays, we're going to look at each of these five qualities of God that are in verse 6, um, and as they appear in other passages. But today, we're going to focus on verse 7. So let's look at it together. It talks about Yahweh maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And right here, we, we begin to see the, the tension in the character of God, don't we? It, it's the tension between Yahweh's forgiveness and his justice. And they're divided by this word, yet. God is eager to forgive Israel, yet, because he also wants to teach them, he will at times punish them. But either way, God's purpose is to restore them. So as we said before, the Lord will bring justice, yet he prefers to restore by forgiving rather than punishing. Now, verse 7 is a difficult verse where it says that, that God will punish the, the, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of the Israelites who worship the golden calf. I, I remember talking with a guy who, who a good friend of mine, who, who grew up Baptist, and he said that he believed that God's wrath and God's love were equal. And I said, no! Love always comes first with God. I mean, that's the message of the Bible. And I want you to know that it's also a, a hallmark of Methodist theology. Love is always primary with God. You know, like any good parent, God gets angry. God gets angry when we rebel against him and hurt ourselves and hurt other people. And, and sometimes there, there must be consequences. But it's always built on love, isn't it? Notice here that the last word in verse 7 is generations. Now, the word generations is not in the Hebrew uh, original text, but it's clearly implied, so I think the translators are, are right to put it in. And that's why some translators also insert the word generations earlier 
maintaining love to thousands of generations. So God is maintaining his love, keeping his promises to thousands of generations, but limits his punishment to only the third or fourth generation. And, and still that's hard to accept. Uh, we find the same thing in the, in the Ten Commandments. Now, usually if we remember the Ten Commandments, we remember the shortened version, but if you go back to the original in Exodus chapter 20, after God says they are to have no other gods and to bow, not bow before any graven images, God adds this, uh, that he'll be punishing the children for the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, and that's hate me as covenantal language for disobeying, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. When we, when we keep reading the Old Testament, we begin to see that there's a little hyperbole going on in the language here. Um, you know, exaggeration to make a point. The generation that God delivered from Egypt, you know, they, they bowed to the golden calf, they mutinied against Moses, they grumbled against God, and they were too afraid to even enter the promised land. And after give, being given so many chances, the punishment for their faithlessness was that they had to spend seven, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They stayed in the desert until that generation died and a new generation took their place. But I think it's interesting that God did not make them wander in the desert for three or four generations. Why? Because the next generation was faithful. The children who grew up wandering in the desert were not punished for their parents' sin because they did not repeat their parents' sin. So they got to enter the promised land. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, you find that, that some generations were especially faithless and rebellious, and some generations were more faithful to God. I think that might be true today, too. But after generations of unfaithfulness, the, the northern tribes, the kingdom of Israel, they, they were conquered, they were exiled, never to return. They were, they were scattered among the nations, and they forgot who they were. They lost their identity as God's people. So sad. A few generations later, the southern tribe, the kingdom of Judah, was mired in corruption, idolatry, and immorality. They, 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 God sent them the prophets, and so they had many chances to turn back, but they would not. So the Jews of Judah were conquered. Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people, most of them, were exiled to Babylon. And they remained there for about two generations. But amazingly, something wonderful happened. They thrived in Babylon. Their faith in God was restored. Their love for God's word grew strong. And then God did this miracle thing by putting it into the heart of a pagan king to allow the third generation of Jews to return home to Judah. So while it says in Exodus 34, 7 that God will punish to the third and fourth generation, it seems that's more of an example and not an exact plan 
for every situation. And maybe the bigger picture is the comparison. God is much more eager to forgive thousands of generations worth compared to just three or four to be punished. The Lord will bring justice, yet he prefers to restore by forgiving rather than punishing. Now, apparently, some Israelites misunderstood that. Uh, they wrongly assumed that, that, that God would, would always punish the children for their parents' sin. So the Old Testament corrects that misunderstanding several times. Uh, future generations are only punished if they continue in the sins of their parents. We find an example of this in Jonah. A lot, a lot of times we remember Jonah because he got swallowed, right? Yeah. But Jonah was a prophet, and God had told him to go to Nineveh and proclaim there, and uh, he didn't want to, but then God, you know, can be very persuasive, and got him to go, and, uh, and so he goes to Nineveh, and he says, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, what happens? The wicked people of Nineveh take that message to heart, and they repent of their evil ways, and what does God do? He forgives them and spares them from being destroyed. Almost comically, Jonah becomes furious with God. You see, Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be spared. He wanted them to be destroyed. And so he says to the Lord, isn't this what I said would happen? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. You see what Jonah's doing? He's quoting God's words back to him, to God, echoing Exodus 34, 6. Now, does, God, does God's punishment extend to future generations today? Well, yes, if they follow the same disobedient, destructive pattern as the generation before, then they will reap the same consequences, and the cycle will continue. And yet it also works the other way. One generation follows a positive pattern from the generation before, and that, you know, that's one reason that we come together as a faith family. We want to pass on that, that positive pattern of, of love and, and faith and holiness to the coming generations. It may be that at the time of your greatest failure, you may discover the character of God. That's what happened to Israel. They discovered, and you will discover, that God will not desert you. Though you fail Yahweh, Yahweh will not fail you. God will not forsake his promises. That's who God is. Let's pray. Lord God, Yahweh, the great 
I am. We are amazed by you. You are holy. You are pure and perfect and powerful. You are able to hold together forgiveness and justice. And in all things, even in your judgment, you are love. Lord, in your mercy, put us on your path that we may lead future generations to you. We pray in the name of our Savior Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.